0: you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast@gmail.com gmail.com or follow us on any of our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at live on 4 legs Podcast, and on Twitter at live on 4 legs Pod. And away we go You're listening to Live on 4 Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gasser. Gotcha.
1: Fucking camera in the truck
0: Mr. Boom Gasper
2: You can call me L, you can call me Ed, you just just fucking call me one.
0: Hey everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast and uh we had an episode yesterday we have a new one today welcome everybody we are going to be sitting and talking with ronan giovanni the author of not for you pearl jam in the present tense a book that's coming out in two weeks on october 15th you can pre-order it on amazon or anywhere that you can order your books you can pre-order it there and uh this is going to be a really interesting conversation he has been through the absolute gauntlet with Pearl Jam and gone through everything that you can watch, that you can read, and really taken all of it in uh, to get all of his facts and information for the book. So uh, let's welcome this in. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there, Hello. and uh, John, very excited about having this guest on. You know, I think we have a lot of good things to talk to him about.
1: Yeah, this was great. I mean, I was familiar with him. Um, he had written the 33 and a third series on uh, Jawbreaker's 24 hour revenge therapy, which is also one of my favorite records. So I was, I was, I, f- I was familiar with the name when we, when we started talking about this and, and yeah, when I but when I heard about the book, I was like, Oh, like a Pearl jam book. Like we already have the, the Pearl jam 20 book. Like that's kind of a comprehensive thing. Like, and a lot of these, you know, you, you've, you guys remember these books from the nineties where it's like the inside story on Pearl jam. Like, and they they kind of tended to lean more towards the tabloid side and more towards like the exploitative side of of journalism or or like writing and i wasn't really into that i never really got into those so i was um, honestly i mean i was a little skeptical coming into this i was like i don't know if i'm this i'm going to be into this but you know i gave it a chance and once once i picked it up i really couldn't put it down man it was it's a great read and it 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 really you know it ties a lot in with what we do here because he based a lot of it on the live shows and their history, and yeah, I I really I really recommend it if for anyone who's who's a fan of of Pearl Jam, it's a great read.
0: Yeah, and I think you hit on something there. I think that people that have listened to the show, uh, that listen to it for getting the history of the band and learning new things like this is the kind of book for that. This is, you know, if you want to get the timeline from 1990, from even before that, when they were Mother Love Bone, and then really dig into some of the unique things that happened to the band in the early 90s, and things that happened to Ed, and like the timeline of how all of that wor- worked, like this is this is really this is it. Like this is so perfect for all of that. It digs you deep into some of those shows that you might not have been paying attention to in the early 90s that really kind of even coincide with what's going on in the world at the time. So that from that from those perspectives, that makes it a really interesting read. And especially like just, you know, some of the things, even us, we we didn't know some of these things that have happened and it was a learning experience for us. So uh to present it to you guys, I I, I just request one thing. Listen to it now, buy the book, and then after you're done reading, listen to this again. Because I think there are going to be things that will just, there are going to be loose ends that are going to be tied up and just things that you might not have caught the first time around. And, you know, I I think we're, you know, since John and I had, had read this ahead of time, I think we had a lot of like knee deep into the book questions for him that we're going to get into here so uh without further ado let's let's get into our conversation with ronan and stay tuned later in the episode for an announcement that we're going to have based off of the book that you may not want to miss
2: you know I, i think when i sat down and was just trying to visualize the kind of scope and the arc of the story i was like you know, well, I I was a kid then, I remember just what was going on. And and so, you know, I don't really, you know, I'm going to do the research, but, you know, I know the broad strokes, the picture. And the truth is that, um, you know, as I learned, you know, they were, it's sort of inevitable, I think, just given what was going on in their world and the nature of the media and all that. But, you know, they were always presented as, you know, like, essentially coming off the rails and, and, you know, it was just a matter of time basically between would it be Pearl jam or Nirvana that would implode. But if you actually go and listen to the 93, 94 bootlegs, it's remarkable just how tight they are and how professional and how few and far between are those sort of incidents, which sort of make them that much more notable in in my opinion. But, you know, if anything, they, you know, they got a pretty, Bum rap, and that that's not something I think I knew, you know, until about a year of just really systematically listening to these things. And I think that that's just another service that you guys provide, which I, you know, to speak just for myself, I'm so grateful for because it's it's a different kind of listening, you know, than you know we kind of exist today, all in on you know playlists and on shuffle and algorithms. And you, you know, to to just sit and listen to a three hour bootleg from start to finish, you know, it's It's, you know, it just takes time and it takes labor and it takes love. And, um, you know, especially for the last, I would say, 10 years of the band's um, touring history, you guys have just done a heroic service. I think for all of us, I certainly, you know, did not listen to every bootleg from the 2013 tour or whatever when it happened. And and, you know, and it's just, you know, just to someone like me who has 500 bootlegs and still feels like you know, you never know when you're going to put on a new one. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just a, it's just a real, you know, gift to have, um, you know, that was the one, maybe it exists somewhere, but, uh, I, I, I didn't see it. You know, I, I like, I had to kind of construct that the list of the 15 or 20, whatever the top most voted shows. And I, I I would just love to have that somewhere online. Maybe it does because I just haven't found it, but you know, what are the final results of your guys poll? Because it was pretty on the money. And there were a few, you know, that just, um, you know, Hartford I think was one of them that maybe like in the tens that you're like, huh, like this is really, effing good. And Oh, I I was at that uh, show. That was fantastic. fantastic. I love it. Awesome. Yeah so yeah anyway but um yeah that's 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 um yeah it so there was a lot of that you know there was just a lot of listening and and you know I'll mention this just because you guys know your stuff like you know the challenge I think really with this book and and you know it's you know you kind of brought it up yourself with um you know your listenership is you know this band has many different audiences, you know, they have, um, they have the diehard fanboy audience They have the more casual, you know, people They have the the lapsed kind of fans who were just there in the nineties. And many times when I was writing this, I just had to stop and say like, who is this actually for? You know, at first it was a very insider baseball kind of thing. It was, you know, really meant to be like, you know, almost a deadhead kind of book that, that was just super in-depth and super um, you know detailed. And you know at a certain point and I, and I can go through this with you guys, I realized that you know that, that can be written and, and maybe it will it should be written. but their story really is so broad um, and and it really did touch on so many points in history that you know you just forget about or you're surprised by that I thought um, you know this, this could be a book, for people who have never heard anything by them you know like that you sure. know I, I don't think that that's the core audience but I, I i i struggled at times with the question of like you know is everyone who is going to read this like have they heard binaural like you know probably but you know like what is you know how do you explain that to someone who doesn't know the first thing about them and and that's really where um, you know it just kind of changed. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, you and I are kind of the same age. We were both born in 78. So as I was reading this, like a lot of it felt like auto, almost autobiographical for myself. Like I was going reading through this and like, man, I remember all these touchstones and we always talk about the moments that you think and like remembering reading all, cause I would dig into all these articles. I know you obviously did the research going back and looking at local papers and doing a, doing a lot of research going back, but um, the the thing that really hit me was uh, the book really answered the question like why are we fans of this band and not that that's like not even a rhetorical question like I look for myself like I I was into Pearl Jam when I was thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen then I kind of gravitated towards more a lot of the punk and hardcore stuff got really deep into that but I would kind of check in you know when they when Binaural came out like oh we'll I'll check that out and Rad Rad Act okay I'll check in and it it really answered the question like why are we still around after all these years so can you talk a little bit about about that and like how you how you came up with the original idea and how you decided to structure the book
2: yeah um you know maybe to answer this in a bit of a roundabout way you know one you know my my friends i would say like the, the the people i know day to day um you know, by and large are not Pearl Jam people. Like I I have a lot of friends who are very into, you know, dance music and classical music and, and hip hop and whatever. But, you know, it's a very, like my Pearl Jam life is almost like my shadow life, you know, like, it's like, it's like when they go on tour, you know, and I'm going to whatever Wrigley and Seattle and Boston, like there's, you know, it's like you activate like that network. And, and, and so when I was writing this again, like I had to, had to force myself kind of to remove myself from that. And I think like, okay, to me, this band seems like they really like made a major dent in history. Is that true of just me and my sort of subjective, very limited privilege experience, or, or is that true in a broader sense? And so, you know, I, I would give the book to friends to read. I sort of made a point of giving it to people who, either didn't like Pearl Jam or really knew nothing about them. And, you know, to a handful of my friends who, you know, we went to high school together or we grew up together, you know, I would see them and I would say, do you remember MTV Unplugged? Do you remember, um, you know, the video music awards when Pearl Jam and Nirvana played? And they would say, you know, of course that, you know, it's probably 15 years since they bought a record, but for whatever reason, you know, when you're 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, and you're, you know, these were just these moments of, like, that was what we watched on TV, at least a lot of people, and 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 I kept hearing that from a lot of people that, like, you know, maybe they didn't even know Pearl Jam was still around and playing and making records, but that that moment um, that people have a weird fondness for, and I think that that is twofold. I, I think that, um, you know, one, it was just very special. It was this very weird three- or four-year moment. I think that you know, really can be compared to, um, you know, 1977-80 with The Birth of Punk or, you know, earlier from, let's say, 66 to 69. Um, but, you know, more to the point, and I tried to mention this at the end, like, you know, even before this pandemic, you know, we we, you know, music is a very atomized thing now. And, you know, it's something that you listen to on headphones and you listen to you know, by yourself and, and, and for whatever reason, that moment was just a very tactile, um, interactive, um, inclusive, you know, in the, in, in, in person moment. And I think that again, even before any of this people, you know, just, they, 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 they sense that something is missing a little bit in, in music. And, and it's like, it's not that people, care less about music it's that the number of things that we all have in common and can talk about at least in my opinion have shrunk a lot Mm. and and moreover you know when there is a subject in music that we can all discuss it's rarely positive or inclusive it's you know 500 records of rolling stone or you know kanye west or or whatever like it's not like you know did you see that on tv last night and how great was it and when can we see it again um so I, I'm not sure if I've answered your question, but but like it was this this very, um, you know, indistinct sense of mind that this band was important beyond their music to a lot of people who just don't frankly care about music anymore. And. Um, and, and, you know, the structure that I, I kind of ended up with is is. You know, there were chapters I had to leave out. There was a lot of info that I, I kind of wanted to put in, and I, I just decided not to. But that is my best case, I think, for why, um, you know, people just are like, yeah, that, that I, I, I remember that. And that was not just, um, you know, a thing.
0: You... You went out and you kind uh, of, for, for this, you you kind of explained Ed's role in the band and kind of the hardships that he's taken. And it's a story that's been told a lot through Pearl Jam and it's been told through other publications and, and you get all different sides. And I, I feel like... More than a lot of the other things that you've read, you've been able to humanize him a lot, which is saying a lot because he's usually very humanized uh, to begin with. But there are things that don't get talked about too much in Pearl Jam's lore. The the carrot incident from Finsbury Park, uh, the, the U2 tour uh, with Zuropa where Ed was blatantly, uh, you know, pissed off at, at the video screens and things like that. Like, those are things that you kind of hear little, you know, ramblings about and rumblings about like, Oh, it's kind of a footnote in their history, but you made them feel so important. So what was the idea of, of painting the picture of Ed, especially in this?
2: Mm. Well, thank you first. I mean, I, you know, I went back and forth a lot with how to illustrate the guys in the band. I had a chapter that I cut um, really at the last second. It was, it was kind of a selection of just quotes and such from over the years of like the funny different ways that the band members, you know, reveal themselves or um, express themselves and contrast with each other. Um, You know, Ed, like I had a whole chapter about like, You know this question of fame and this question of persona um and influence and and you know i at the end i i'm very grateful to you for saying that uh you know something was got right about it but i you know i'm not sure that i did because it you know if you think about it it's just a reality that you know a handful of people in the world really know what it means and you know with Ed, with Bono, with Tom York, you know, with Zach DeLaRoccio, people like that, you know, you just wonder sometimes, you know, I, I, I work in concert production, so I, you know, I, I this is just a stupid professional thing I, I wonder about, but like when you sing the last song and you have whatever, 15, 20, 25,000 people with the lights up singing every word with you, you know, just loving life, not wanting to go home. What do you do 10 minutes later? You know what I mean? Do you just go home know, do you go backstage and sit in your room and, you know open a beer and I, I don't know like how do you deal with that like for us even who are in the crowd it takes a while to you know wind down and and just and 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 so you know it, it's a, it's a really weird thing like to be a rock star and um there's not many people i think like him who have this weird quality of like you know he's 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 like distant you know he he has, he has this like artistic quality but he's very close at the same time. And, you know, it's, a, it's something I'm not even sure you can learn or develop. It's, it, you know, there's just these things like charisma and, um, you know, stage power. And, and, and um, you know, and, and so anyway, when I was writing about him, Um, there's many Eddie Vedder's, you know, there's, there's the early one and there's the, the the guy now and and the one in between. And, 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 you know, he just got so many funny reactions out of people. Um, You know, there was, you know, at the very beginning, I have that quote from the the, the, where it's just like, you know, he, he touched people in a way, perhaps that they would not want to be touched, you know? And, and, and I think there was a reason why, you know, there were people who were just like, what is this guy's problem (laughs) like for a while? But, But, you know, he he's just, you know, and a lot of people ask me, um, you know, did you interview the band? Did you get to talk to them? For me, like, you know, that was never really on the table. And it was almost like a can of worms, you know, because it was like if they said to me, like, you get an hour or two, that you better. You know, I was like, where do you start? And, And then, like, you know, what do you choose to ask and not to ask? In a sense, it was not easier but it was it was you know from a work standpoint this book is about Pearl Jam but it's really about Pearl Jam's impact on people and on the world and and on their fans and so you know you can write a book about people like John Lennon or Jimi Hendrix you know it's as much or Elvis you know like it's as much about what people took from that as the performers themselves and I think Ed is in that category um, you know, I had a whole chapter about like Pearl Jam showing up in literature, you know, there's like quite a few books and novels and short stories, um, where, you know, whether it's Jonathan Franzen or Gary Steingart, somebody mentions Pearl Jam or Eddie Vedder just to kind of make a point about something. And I had to cut it just cause I didn't have enough room, but you know, there, there's not that many bands you can, you can do that for. Um, so he's um you know he's just a bit of a cipher and it's like a real rich subject and um i'm just fortunate that there were so many you know people you know who just had their take on him
1: yeah we just interviewed the the black circle guys from brazil and the the singer talked about he had a had a phone call with ed and he, he said hey you know let me just talk to you for a minute and like took him aside and like gave him some advice and you you're just listening like that's that's him like that's the guy he's he's become that that elder statesman he's grown into that tom petty springsteen pete townsend role that he was always born to play you know yeah
2: no i mean it must be um intimidating too. see if those guys are really awesome black circle and he does such a great job with his voice i can't imagine like it's one thing to you know write about him but another thing to be just like okay this is how you sing this <laughs>
0: um i'm curious from uh this standpoint from the book um so you talk a lot about just sort of the timeline and the period of what's going on uh throughout the country and throughout the world uh there are things like in 1994 and again going back to the the stories that don't really get told in Pearl Jam's lore the uh the David J. Gunn uh, story. Uh, that's not something that I really knew before reading the book and how they did a benefit in 1994. Like this is, you know, th- this is stuff that kind of can apply to what we're going through today. Um, and throughout the, the duration of the book, you always tie something in to whether it's, it's you know, uh, uh, something going on war whether uh, with Iraq or whether it's, you uh, you know, whatever the political platform is, you did a good job tying that in. So what went into figuring out what to place where and figuring out how the band connected to what was going on in the world and in the country?
2: Yeah. Um, first, thank you. That was definitely a, 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 a objective of mine. And, you know, the question of how to balance the band story and context was one that um, you know, up till the end I, I really tried to get right. Um you know this I can tell you very clearly. Like, you know, I, I did a first draft and it was basically like, you know, it was just here's nineteen ninety and here's the present and, and I went through it and I and you know, I tried to fill in like, you know, this election happened and this is nine eleven and but but you know it was it was about the band and then You know, when I drilled down on one chapter in particular, and I can tell you exactly which one it was, it was self-pollution radio, January 95. You know, I I knew that this four-hour broadcast was online. I knew that I had to listen to it, you know, at some point just to obviously do my homework and, and refresh my memory. And, you know, usually when I'm listening to a bootleg, I will, you know, be making lunch or, you know, fixing up my apartment a bit. And as I'm sure you guys know, you know, this, this broadcast starts with like a five minute monologue introduction really by Ed. And I just remember, you know, when he starts talking, this was right after the you know November 94 election. And, 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 and he has a sentence where he talks about, you know, there's people in this country right now who are, you know, just overflowing with information. Um, and there's, there's a lot of, you know, Talk and 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 there's a lot of people you know who who maybe feel like their opposition is not being heard, and I just remember like every hair on my arm standing up at that point and realizing you know Ed in his oblique way is talking obviously about new Gingrich at that moment, but he's you know unequivocally also talking about Donald Trump, and 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 at that point I realized that you know a lot and this was not my intention you know a lot of you know what we're seeing right now you know, really was, um, you know, seated in that moment of, of the early nineties, you know, even before. Um, and, and, you know, this is another thing that I had a lot more about that I just had to cut. I had a lot about Newt Gingrich. I had a lot about, um, you know, there was Newt Gingrich came to power, essentially. Um, you know, he ousted the speaker of the house, um, this guy named Jim, Wright, And, and there's a, there's a story involved with this. I'll, I'll just tell you the brief version where Jim Wright had, a I think it was his chief of staff. He, he, this guy, um, had been in jail. He had, he had basically brutalized, raped a woman, you know, attacked her. I think like it really just, I, I don't know if he raped her, but he, 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 he was arrested and, and, and he had a hit a record, um, woman you know i think had had multiple surgeries after to 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 you know heal and essentially nothing happened with this um you know New Gingrich used this as a way used this used this guy's case as a way to basically you know make his career but there was a woman who was brutalized you know as a result of you know congressional aid and and this was 1988 1989 and the whole question of like the woman's life was just not even mentioned at the time. So, you know, a lot of these things about feminism, about abortion, about the the radical right, um, you know, they had been going on for a long time in plain sight. And I I won't pretend that I knew it, you know, when I sat down to start writing, but that really revealed itself to me as I was doing this. Um, And so, you know, the point of this is not to write a book about american history you know i i i wouldn't pretend to do that but i do think that this band was around at really um decisive moments and um you know the david gunn thing you know i'm a floridian so i remember that very clearly um you know marilyn manson wrote a song called get your gun g-u-n-n you know in 94 95 and and i found that like when i ask people now about him you know, either they knew it very vaguely or they didn't know it at all. And, um, you know, I, I, don't mean to single anybody out, but I remember like, you know, one person said to me, surely this guy can't be the first person killed. He can't be the first abortion doctor killed. I'm sure this has been going on forever. This is what people don't understand. We're so, you know, everything has been so normalized now that we think that this all has been going on forever. It has not, you know, it all started at a certain point And, um, and I realized that you know Pearl Jam calling themselves the David J Gun Band for the Versus release show, you know that's a trivia fact, but that's also deeply significant. I think for you know where the country was at in 1993, mm-hmm. you know that happened just weeks after um, Bill Clinton was inaugurated. So it's not like um, you know it's a reaction that's set in after a while. This was this was just like Obama. Um, so sorry to go off on a tangent, but you know this was just something that. You know, among the many things I learned, um, you know, has just been going on the entire time.
0: Do you think that, you know, I'm not, I don't think that the Pearl Jam fan base is as divided as some people think, Um, but, you know, they do lean more towards the side of of agreeing with the band but there are some people you know just like everybody in the world that has their differences that want them to shut up and play rock and roll music that don't care about their political ties um if that person picks up the book what do you think they'll they'll get out of this do you think they'll understand this side or do you think that they're just gonna get annoyed and they're gonna drop it
2: they'll probably get annoyed i mean a little like you know I was going to ask you guys, I mean, you know, I have on whatever it is, page five or so, that photo of, you know, the Trump guys on election night in 2016, you know, I got a lot of questions from that, just from my, my good friends, you know, people who are Pearl Jam people who said, are you sure you want this photo there? Are you sure you want to go there, you know, and kind of just isolate this group? And you know, I, I know, I can see their point, like it's, you know, you're sort of um, asking for it <laughs> a little bit, but, 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 you know, I, I think that that, that contingent exists. Um, and I think that if, you know, I think it's, it's reasonable to talk about it, you know, and I think that that's what makes this band interesting. You know, I don't think there's a lot of MAGA, MAGA guys at Radiohead. Um, I could be wrong about that, you know, but, um, you know, that's, what's really cool about this band is that You know, rock and roll was supposed to be like this open circle of, of, you know, different people talking to each other. And, 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 you know, that's one thing that they accomplished. I, you know, I don't want to say that, um, like conservative person is not going to, uh, like those parts, but, you know, I'll tell you, I, I brought a copy of the book to my family's house for, there night my, you know, my in-laws looked at the second page and said, "You're, you know, you're left of Bernie Sanders and threw it away." Like, uh, so you know, it's uh, we'll see. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it reminds me of that uh, storyteller's question when the guy comes up and says, "Oh, you know, how do you feel about a lot of your fans having different opinions I And mean, he just says, "Fuck them."
2: Yeah, I mean, Ed, yeah, you know, Ed, I think, is a bit more of a absolutist maybe a little than me i mean Mm
1: -hmm.
2: i I, i'm you know i don't know i am i i would like to think that um you know there's there's a place to have conversation among all this you know like ed likes to say that you know you know johnny ramon was one of his best friends i i I don't know i i don't see a whole lot of that and and i would like to think you guys are right that, that the fans are less divided but I don't know. It seems pretty, it seems pretty dark out there right now.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that maybe that's, that's me that tries to avoid sort of the dark side of all this and the people that I gravitate towards, I know are going to gravitate towards the same idealisms that I do So, you know, and then then you get the people that are just kind of out of the woodwork. You know, Pearl Jam will post something even today. They posted something on Breonna Taylor and, uh, you know, people are just out of the woodwork, just like it's almost like they never knew the band existed in this political light, that they were political. and, And they've what what you do so well in the book is is you kind of describe from from basically day one this is who they were and this is what they cared about. And this was their platform.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you. I mean, I, you know, I, I mean, I was gonna ask you guys, what do, what do you, when you saw, you know, on page four or whatever, the Trump guys, did you, did you recoil? Did, did it strike you as true to your experience? I, You know, um, a lot of my friends were like, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would go there, but I, I felt like I could see their point, but I, I was like, I felt like it needed to be said.
1: I don't think it was a shock. I think for me, it was more like, okay, so we're, we, we are going to get some, some, you know, quote unquote, present tense in the, as it says in the title, we're going to get some context of, of what's going on nowadays in this book. So yeah, I, did, I didn't, you know, I know did, it didn't, didn't make me put the book down or, you know, and I'm, I'm with you. I'm you know, I'm left I'm left to center of of Bernie Sanders as well. You know, it's not something that that I'm gonna shy away from, you know, so I agree with you. So it's not, you know, that 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 I'm maybe not the not the right person to ask, but for me, yeah, I think it, it more just kind of like, Oh, this isn't gonna be this isn't gonna be about escapism and all about like a tabloid thing from the 90s that that you sometimes get in some of these Pearl Jam books you know that have been written but I think it it yeah it, it kind of grounded a little bit and I was like okay you know th- we're we're gonna we're gonna get some some frame of reference here
2: one of the things um you know that I I've removed you know I mentioned that chapter about you know kind of uh characterization of the band um you know it was about stone and and you know stone in at some point, I think in the mid nineties, he said something like, you know, I'm the most conservative member of the band. I think he met like artistically mostly like in terms of set lists and stuff like that. But, you know, there's also times where both he and Ed are being interviewed about Nader for instance, and, and stone is maybe a little more cautious or a little bit more moderate. Um, you know, I, I think again, Trump kind of throws everything in, into a blender because like he just scrambles these categories. But I do think it's interesting to talk about like, you know, is Stone the most conservative person, you know, like right now, you know, Mike is posting a lot about Black Lives Matter, which is Mm -hmm. also, in my opinion, when I was writing the book, you know, I think I mentioned, I I called him apolitical at one point, which, you know, I'm now wondering if I need to correct. But, you know, at the time, it seemed he was in the early 90s, though, very much so. Yeah. So, you know, it's a it's an evolution, you know, and, uh, and, and, and I'm, you know, even their their thing now, you know, I'm I'm very curious about because I, you know, I think it's interesting. You know, my, my brother works in professional basketball. He he works for ESPN as a commentator, and and I'm not a sports person at all. I I'm kind of allergic a little bit to sports, but you know, I'm really inspired by seeing, um, you know, LeBron and 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 the protests going on there, and I and I think that like it's strange that the moral conscience of liberalism is with professional athletes now which is, you know, amazing. And and it makes me really admire them and it makes me wonder like what happened to this moment of um, you know Ralph Nader having a rally and, and it being national news, you know, I, I, I almost wonder if like vote for change. Yeah. You know, I think that, I think that that was a big one for them, you know, and, and that's, it, it's a subject I wish I, I had more space to discuss. You know, I I really feel like the mental shock of that, you know, I remember being in New York that night with my girlfriend and, and riding home on the train and everyone just being so paralyzed with shock being like, how could people reelect this man after you know, the war in Iraq. And, and now, you know, that just, now George W. Bush looks like Voltaire, you know, like, and so, so, so again, a lot of these things, like, did I know that that would foreshadow like what's going on? Definitely not. But like, but that's kind of the beauty of this band is that like, there is just this magic kind of in the writing of it, that there's a symmetry to it um, and a relevance to it. And, um, you know, like I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm intrigued by this Jill Biden thing. I, I'm curious to see what happens with that. But, you know, there's no question. I think that, um, the, the moral leaders of the of young America are not in music anymore. They're in sports. Um, and, and I think that that's a marker of a, of a distance traveled since, you know, this era.
0: That's really interesting because, you know, I mean, you're right. I think it was since Colin Kaepernick really, athletes would stray away from that. You know, it was kind of this idea of it was pro-America, pro-military for the most part. I think the NBA and NFL getting something like that right, I think, does speak to a generation that is more aware of what's going on. And and even when Bush was in the reign of terror in 2003, 2004... I still think that people weren't as aware of the situation. And that's maybe where, and I I always just, uh, I'm thinking to myself, the, the, the fat records albums that came out, the rock against Bush albums that came out that year in Oh four. I'm like, why don't we have this right now? It's because we don't have to tell people it's, it's apparent. It's very apparent in front of our eyes.
2: Well, I think it's, it's part of just the currency of music. You know, I just think that like the value, you know, the value of the dollar is what it is today versus 2004 and the value of, you know, 45 minutes of music is just, you know, it's almost nothing, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and so, um, you know, it, it's, um, and that's partly the fault of, you know, the music industry, but, but, you know, it's maybe partly the fault of, um, musicians too i don't know like uh you know it's um there's certainly no lack of subject matter and and you know i just think these things are are you know going to come out in different ways but you know it, it's hard to forget that you know i don't know the stuff going on in the, in the, in the mid-60s like that response was pretty instantaneous you know the response of punk rock was pretty instantaneous mm-hmm. and um i don't know you know my good friend um who designed the cover of the book, they always tell me like this, this stuff is going on. You know, you're just too old for it. You don't know where it's happening. And, and they're probably right. You know, like, uh, like, like uh, I'm sure there is like a pretty amazing 20 year old punk band that, that is saying what we're wanting them to. And we're just not aware of it. I, I don't know, but you're right. I, I think like, you know, Colin Kaepernick, what, what he is now, you know, that used to be Kurt Cobain, Eddie Vedder and Michael Stipe. Um, Absolutely. And, so, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's a big thing. <laughs>
1: well, while we're, while we're talking about politics, I wanted to ask you about, um, a specific thing in the book, if I could, near the end, you reference a quote from the movie hype, which I was very happy to see. Cause I love this quote where Ed talks about, you know, if, if these people get to this point and, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing obviously, uh, and nothing happens, that would be the tragedy. Uh, was that something that you had in mind for kind of that spot in the book the whole time? Can you talk about that quote a little bit and what it means for the for the whole book? Uh, because that, that to me just kind of ties a lot of things together.
2: Yeah, um, definitely. And that's a really good observation. I, you know, that actually I, I think I had from day one was I I, I knew mm-hmm. that, you know, he said that and I and I knew I needed to end up somewhere around, you know, did they make any difference? Um, yeah, it, you know, in the movie, um, you know, it's, it's kind of an abbreviated monologue where Ed, um, you know, is saying, um, you know, are the musicians in the scene, are they sticking up for the underdog or, you know, are they sticking up for the person who has always been picked on or are they standing up for, you know, the winners? Um, you know, that's a real complicated question. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think, you know, look at Pearl Jam today and maybe would answer that a little bit differently, um, you know, or maybe a little bit disappointed in, in some of their decisions or, or you know, lack of different decisions. Um, you know, I personally feel that um, the, the point was phrased kind of you know, maybe a little upside down, you know, where he said, um, you know, were the bands working on behalf of, you know, this, this sector of society, I think what that moment of music really did, you know, it was, it was empowering, you know, like, and, and it was, you know, it was, I think that most music, um, videos or Spotify or whatever it's intended, you know, you look at Beyonce on stage or you look at, I I don't know, uh, Drake and, you know, a whole bunch of dancers on stage. Usher, It's meant to be like this dazzling professional thing that, you know, is virtuosic and is accomplished. And, 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 and yet it's not something that you yourself could do. Um, Whereas this moment, I I mean, I don't know if I'm just inflating my own memories or of it, or just being a teenager, but um, you know, Eddie Vedder, Trent Reznor, Michael Stipe, Zach Rich, they were rock stars, but you know, people thought of them differently, I think, than they think of Julian Casablancas or Jack White or, or whomever. You know, there was just there was just this weird um, personal aspect to it, um, and and an aspect that said like, you know, we are the ones on stage, but you know, this could just as easily be you, um, and i I don't know it that to me i think was the decisive change it was to know that like music is not something that you just process passively on a couch and then put in a glass case and consider separate from your world music is you know every day and it's your friends and it's your community and it's um i don't know a way of making the world better and and I will resist a temptation to compare that tendency with now. But, but I, I, I do think that that utopian idealistic impulse was real then, you know, and, and, um and it's not, it wasn't just Pearl Jam, you know, it was, it was, you know, if you look back at just, you know, whether it was Sonic Youth or U2, or, you know, there was just this, this weird kind of sense of possibility and optimism then. And, um and that I think definitely stamped, Something on people, and and you can't really quantify that in terms of a political change per se or a piece yeah. of legislation. But um, I do think that people's lives were impacted by it. And, and you know, I didn't harp on it because Ed was saying that you know in I think ninety five ninety six like as a as much younger person. But I'd be very curious to hear him you know answer that now. I I, I don't think there's any question that that band change things um but if you look at you know seattle today you look at the number of homeless people there you look at the disparities in wealth there you look at just the 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 existence of culture like there and in every other city it is a fair question you know like um how much has changed and, and if it was for the better um but yeah
1: that that that
2: um statement of his I think is very important and shows that they were thinking about it you know pretty early
0: if I'm not mistaken that quote was sort of indirectly following something about Kurt Cobain am I I right about
2: that I think you're right um it's been a second since I've seen it you know um but yeah it's um I mean that whole movie you know was just with like the Muzak you know, selection, it was just so well done. And, and yeah, it, it sounds right that it was like kind of in summation, like after that happening.
1: Yeah. After they talk, after they show the visual, I think. Right. Near the yeah. End. yeah. That's
0: another thing that I, I really want to touch up on here because you can't really write a, uh, a book about Pearl Jam without writing a decent chunk about Nirvana. So is there anything? And I, I think for the most part, everybody kind of understands the story and, you know, the, 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 the contrast between how the two people saw music and how they saw their own, uh, how the, how they saw their own selves as, as artists. So what did, what did you learn that about the two of them that made them so different, but yet so alike in the same way? What, 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 what sprouted from that?
2: Mm. Um, well, I mean, you know, I think I mean, I'd be curious if your guys' experience was the same. You know, I think that for for those of us who were growing up with this stuff, you know, when we were 12, 13, 14 and it was just coming out, you know, you'd see Nirvana and you'd see Pearl Jam and, and, and it was, you know, just this kind of, uh, you know, do you like the Beatles or do you like the Stones? Do you like the Yankees? Or do you like the Mets? and um you know and it was just it was like peanut butter and jelly uh and you know there's just you didn't separate them and then you know at a certain point i think when my when my attention was not fully on rock music Kurt cobain just kind of you know he, he went from being mythical to like just something different um and now you know i mean there's whatever you know cute five-year-old kids walking down the street with nirvana shirts on and And it's, you know, that can be annoying or it can be funny. Like, but I think that, um, that chapter, you know, where I'm writing about their similarities and their differences, that was also one where, you know, I think a reader or two flagged it and said like, you know, you're kind of you're coming down a little bit hard on Ed or you're, you know, you're maybe writing a bit, you're making Kurt to be a bit of a saint. I I don't know. You know, like I, I, that, that moment, you know, is, is, um, there's like personal feelings and, and just the facts and all that. But um, I don't think you can really separate the two. And, and I, and I think that this is not a criticism, but I think if you watch girl jam 20 or you, you know, you read their quotes about, you know, more recently, you, you you could be forgiven for thinking that they were, you know, chummy, those bands and, and they weren't, you know, like, and, 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 um, you know, Kirk Cobain said at a certain point, you know, he was like, you know, he was like, the Sex Pistols, you know, used to talk shit about everyone, you know. He was like, that was part of the fun of the English music press, which is how nasty and bitter everyone was to each other, and why can't, you know, we just talk shit about each other once in a while? Um, you know, that's not an instinct I, I could see Ed ever feeling, you know. But, but um, you know, for a while, they were the Alpha and Omega of <laughs> this music, and, and I think between them, they formed this weird synthesis where, like... Um, you know, Ed was definitely, I think, a little bit less fully formed as an artist before encountering that band. And I think that Kurt Cobain, along with Ian McKay and, and a few other people, like really, you know, that's the reason why Versus is what it is and Vitology is what it is versus 10, um, is because he was really inspired by his peers. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if i'd say it's common or not in music but you know you have to go back to like you know brian wilson and paul mccartney trying to one-up each other you know with like pet sounds and um uh rubber soul you know it was just this this kind of give and take and it was really exciting for a while that you know it was like it was like who's gonna make the most amazing record it was like it was in utero and then it was versus and then it was super unknown and um and And, you know, I I don't think that those bands in isolation would have um, done as much. I think that, like, Nirvana's Unplugged was definitely, like, a a response in some ways to, you know, the minimal stripped-down version that Prodent did. And, um, you know, it's a shame the way all that ended, but as I realized more than once writing this, you know, every interesting moment in music you know they they say like you know it's like a a term in high school it's like four years you know like every four years it turns over and it's something different and um, you know it's not supposed to be around forever Um, and uh, yeah so I think that it's you know it's fun to write about these two bands I have a lot more I'd like to say about the Cobain that you know just didn't fit in there I, I, I was even concerned about including the Courtney Love stuff but I you know I just wonder how much of that is even known anymore. You know, like for a while, yeah. it was like everyone, you know, could even, you could hear, you know, that recording in your head of her just being so emotional and reading it. Now, I, 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 I wonder like, you know, Kurt Cobain is, you know, he's like a big influence on, you know, lots of young rappers, whatever. But that speech, like it seemed important to me because I, I don't know. It, uh,
0: it was an end of innocence
2: sort of thing. That was a big day, I think.
0: You know, I have to bring this up, uh, and not to dodge like more important subject matters, uh, but uh, there's one band that you pick on a little bit in here, and (laughs) and rightfully so, rightfully so, because look, I spent a lot of my life being a massive Chili Peppers fan until I became, what, 25 years old, and they put out a record, and I listened to it, and I'm like, wait a minute, this sounds exactly like the last one where he's bebop, bop boop bop skip da bop bop and doing all that stuff. Like, I'm... I've grown now. I, I like they need to grow, grow as musicians with me growing as a person or, or else I'm out. But you, you, you called them out a bunch of times and you kind of v- very early on said that Ed was kind of an Anthony Kiedis wannabe uh, for, you know, because they had been, they had grown close and, and uh, Ed was doing some roadie stuff on uh, uh, for some red hot chili pepper shows in San Diego. Uh, but um, I, I'm just curious to, why, you know, I, I think it's, it's pretty obvious why, you know, somebody would have this just distaste for, for them, but, uh, uh, you've involved it a couple of times. So I'm, I'm just curious as to, uh, your, the idea of involving just them being sort of the outcast in this whole sort situation, uh, you know, while Pearl Jam and Nirvana have been kind of seen as, uh, I guess,
2: elder statesmen of the music industry. Well, I mean, I would say first, you know, I was just trying to be funny, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but it's, you know, there's a lot of places where, um, you know, and this is something I'm so grateful for. I would give it to my friends and they would, you know, triple underline something and say like, what do you mean by this? And I'm like, it's just a joke. You know, I'm just (laughs) playing around. I, um, you know, the chili peppers, I mean, I worried a lot about this. I, you know, I I worried if I was just kind of beating the horse a little bit and um, you know, like it's um, you know, music critics, like, I don't know. They sometimes like they, uh, not that I'm a professional music critic, but sometimes you you sense that like they only really get excited when they're like tearing somebody down. And I, I don't think that that's that interesting. You know, like I, I think that it's, 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 it's a lot harder to find, you know just something decent to say about somebody and and so i i'm intrigued by how like you know the chili peppers were like i don't want to say program's favorite band but definitely like pretty up there like between stone and jeff and ed and you know i i don't know if i left this in there i think not but you know it's it's worth remembering that in 1990 you know or even 92, the Chili Peppers were a different thing, you know, than they were now or later. Like, you know, in 1990, they were conceivably, you know, adjacent to Fishbone and, um, I don't know, like, even Raging as Machine, you know, that kind of just instrumental funk kind of sound. And then they, you know, they became massive. I, I just don't really like them that much. And I, and I like, I, I didn't, I didn't feel the need to, you know, Going a jihad about it, but like, but I I don't think that that's all that well known about them. And um, you know, one of the more um, punishing acts of research for this was reading Anthony Kiedis' biography, with a <laughs> you know, and, and you know, there's I think, and he <laughs> actually says I, he actually says himself, uh, Eddie Vedder was in a Red Hot Chili Peppers cover band, like uh, you, know, so, so, um, you know, so you know. The bad radio thing was a lot longer at one point. Like my friend was like, dude, we get it. Like, you don't like this band. So again, a lot of these places, like I'm just trying to, um, you know, to, to dip in, to make it so that people know that all this stuff is, you know, online, that they can watch it for themselves. They can make up their own minds about it. Um, you know, those videos are really something I think of, of bad radio. Like uh I, you know it's um you know people change like people evolve and and like and but but wow like i mean the that um
0: that doesn't feel like any Vedder at all it feels like a completely different human on stage yet it has some of his qualities where you can see okay he does something like that i think you even brought up uh how like back then he was trying to, like, you know, do the whole pump up the crowd. Come on, everybody, everybody in the back, get up, everybody. do. Like, that's not, you know, he'll talk to the people in the back now and he'll make sure they're okay, but he doesn't do the rah-rah stuff anymore. Right. Which I found interesting that, you know, that was his character back then.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, all those guys, you know, Ed, obviously Jeff and Stone, you know, this is something I think gets forgotten is, like, you know, What happened with 10 was miraculous, you know, like that they sat down and a week later had 10 songs and and, you know, and it was a classic. But, you know, all those guys had years and years of slogging it out and getting nowhere and, you know, pulling coffee and working overnight. And I just tried to represent that, you know, that, um, you know, what seems like an overnight success is at least a half decade, if not a full decade of just life in the trenches,
1: well, speaking of, of editorializing as well, there's a lot of little parenthetical asides, and I won't I won't spoil the the songs that you call out, but you definitely it it's definitely made or clear which ones. which Pearl Jam songs you're a fan of and which ones you're not. Um, talk about that, and and why did you decide to, to leave those in uh, in in the final cut? Your little a little, you know, the, the little points about, you know, maybe, oh, you know, this certain song's great, and, you know, we, it's, it's clear by the end which ones you're a fan of. <clears throat> Give it a fly. Well, Pearl what, what did I just or... say?
2: <laughs> Pearl Jam people, what, one thing I love about them is that they're so goddamn opinionated. And <laughs> and that and that's something I think I learned, or really was reinforced listening to your guys' podcast, was, you know, the lists and, and the top tens. And, and, you know, it's just a band that, like, no one no one is right on you know like my 10 songs and your 10 songs they like, could have zero overlap and we could still have you know a, a terrific time you know at ten different shows together um, I don't know you know for for me it was a, like the individual songs versus the albums I was trying to strike a balance between um, you know covering records and, and representing what was on them and, and the songs that I felt made them special Without getting overly bogged down in um, minutia, and and you know, I and you know honestly, the songs that I focused on are not necessarily my favorites. You know, Jeremy and Garden. Um, you know, like I, I wanted to write about them obviously for historical reasons, but my you know my favorite Pearl Jam, honestly, like I think maybe every Pearl Jam feels this way, but fan feels this way, but like. I think it would alarm a lot of people. Like, I, I just like the weird stuff, you know what I mean? Like, and, 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 and the weirder kind of the better. And, and um, I I don't know, like um, every, you know, some people are, for for some people, they're a classic rock band. For some people, they're art rocks. For some people, they're, um, I don't know, just a good time and, and high school memories. Like I, I personally, like, um, what I go back to are the noisier, more dissonant, unusual arrangements. And, and, um, and I don't know, there's like, but then on the other hand, like a perfectly straight ahead song, like hail, hail, I could, I could, or release I could listen to it every day, you know, like for a year without getting tired. I think that if anything, that was the criteria was like, you know, when I was listening to a bootleg, if once or even flow came on, I just, I couldn't deal at a certain point. But, I don't think I ever once skipped past um, Brain of J, Present Tense, Breath, Release. You know, there's just these songs that are kind of your home base. And, you know, I, I wanted to represent what for me, you know, I don't think Pearl Jam is really known as an art rock band to a lot of people anymore. Um, and, and, and I wanted to rep No Code. I wanted to rep um, Binaural. Like I, I, that to me, like, is what brings me back.
0: Yeah, I, I was going to say that, you know, your no code and your yield chapters really felt kind of cathartic in a way because I always thought that was kind of the beginning of something new and something fresh for the band. And, you know, while there's not a lot of outside of like some Ticketmaster, uh, you know, just BS with, with with that in 96, you know, there there's not a whole lot of bad things to really say about the band They they were. I guess losing a little bit of popularity, but they were gaining such a, a massive following within their own group that people were loving them more and more each day. And I think from reading those chapters, it kind of assured that those albums to me, at least that they're, you know, they make the most sense to me and they feel like the most Pearl Jam of all the Pearl Jam albums.
2: Yeah, they had the hot hand then, you know. I think just from verses, you know, really. I mean, especially through that Merkin Ball period, like it's just you know the dissonances and and the drones and the tunings and like they were just on. I think and they they just um, you know again, I didn't want to like it, it's hard, right? Because you want to you want to talk up the albums, but you also want to say like you know what what you think was going on between the lines and and you know I. I I I hope it was fair to say that, like, you know, what they did was heroic. But would I trade it for another no code? Probably.
0: Yeah. And you're talking about Ticketmaster, right?
2: Yes. Sorry. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you you were, you know, I I think that there were points that you kind of you made the argument that they didn't make the right decision, that maybe, you know, Jeff said some things uh, in front of the in front of Congress that weren't necessarily the best representation of the band or what they were trying to stand for. And I I thought that was interesting because everybody, when talking about this has always had this opinion of, yeah, they, they stuck it to them and, and they're the only ones that did and good for them.
2: Well, you know, it's, it's very interesting just to read the transcript of those hearings. You know, um, I just, I, whatever, I just took an afternoon and I read them and yeah, there's like, you know, I mean, Cameron Crowe presents that as like a very, um, kind of goofy, whatever, absurd exercise, but there were really some interesting questions being asked and, you know, again, I'm I'm not trying to criticize those guys. They said themselves, like, you know, it was a good time for us to just kind of sit it out for a bit, but, you know, when a congressperson asks you um, are there alternatives to Ticketmaster and you're like, I don't know, you know, you probably could have prepared a little bit better for a congressional briefing, like, Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, like, whatever I probably wouldn't know either
1: (laughs) (laughs) you know you mentioned you've you've seen them I think it was 57 times are there any uh you know personal moments for you that kind of stand out in the times you've seen like when, when was the first time you saw them and the last time and kind of talk about some of the shows that you've been to
2: so speaking of Connecticut, my first show was '98 in Hartford. Um, Very nice. The night after MSG, uh, we got breath that night, which I, I didn't know. You know, obviously why it was special, but that was cool. And and that you know, um, I didn't remember. My my friend reminded me that we were like I don't know, kind of toward the back of the floor, and and the audience like rushed the stage at Ed's like invitation, and security was kind of not cool. That was my first one. Um, I had, I had a ticket to one earlier that I won't go into that just, uh, a ride did not transpire and oh. it, uh, it was, it was a heartbreaker, but yeah, um, one, you know, one show that also sticks out to me, um, 2003 in, I think it was Philly, not Camden that they played two nights they they opened one show, I want to say, of The Girl. I think it was in Philly. And that, to me, you know, my friend and I, we were at that show. We always go back to that one. We're like, do you remember was three in Philly? Like, uh, I can find the date. But that was just like, uh, you know, you always have one where you're like, why was that one so goddamn magical? But, um, you know, that was the other one. And then more recently, um, you know, Krakow, I was lucky to be at. Um, that was one where, you know... Um, the PA was quite bad. You know, I, I was there with a friend and, and he's not a music guy at all, but he was like, you know, what's going on with the mix in here? It was, it was very muffled and kind of bassy. And then you, but it was, you know, it was such a great vibe and such a great audience that it just transcended all of that. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, I'm probably going to end up giving 10 different answers to that question, but, uh, <laughs> you know, more. That's, and then, that's the beauty of it. Definitely, and then and then you know the show I ended with I would say the Lisbon Ed Zola one, which I'm dying to get a recording of. I I I can't seem to find it. That one was just like I don't know what that was, but like that may have been the best one of all. Like uh, very surprisingly,
0: interesting. That's I mean, but that's what it's all about. It's all about the personal intake of all this, and you know I I have shows that. I might say I don't like more than the consensus, and then there might be a vice versa. But, that, again, that's another great thing that, that we can bring up on our show and and, and talk about so much. Um, I, just want, I just want to – before we say goodbye, I just want to thank you. Um, this kind of came out of nowhere, but um, you – I I had kind of figured out about the book through uh, Dave Jantoush, who is uh, uh, for the people out there that don't know, he uh, runs livefootsteps.org, which you have to use to put in your shows and look at your stats. And it'll take you down the rabbit hole for hours and hours and hours. We've talked about this so many times on the show. You gotta, you gotta use live footsteps. Um, And he, and he told me about it and he told me that he'd been back and forth with you about some stuff. And then uh, when when reaching out to you uh, about coming on to the show, you told me that that you told me that you mentioned us in your book, and that to me, like I, I, I'm, I, I'm still stunned by it because this is only, this is only a two year process here. I didn't think that anybody would be thinking about mentioning us somewhere in that hive of praise. Like I, and I just want to thank you for that because it's it's. It's not every day that something that you so passionately uh, take so much of your time for is is kind of mentioned and promoted right in the book for you. So just thank you for that, and and I hope that you were able to to use as much as you could from our show as as research for this.
2: Definitely, no. I mean, if anything, I had you know three chapters on different shows in the last decade. And, uh, at a certain point, the editor is just like, dude, it's over. Turn it in.
0: (laughs) If, if you're an early fan, if you're a fan of the early stuff, if you're a fan of the early nineties stuff, like this is, this is heavily front loaded with uh, obviously nineties stuff. Once you get past 2003 or so, you know, they've grown and they've matured and, and there's, You know, uh, there's a lot, a little bit less to, you know, there are great shows. There are obviously amazing shows, but they are a little less comparisons. They're, they're pretty much built in of, of who they are. And, you know, uh, but again, like it's a great read for anybody that's, that's picked it up, pre-ordered it. Uh, hopefully it'll get to you soon, but again, Ronan, thank you for joining us.
1: And, uh, and b- before we let you go again, I'll, I'll, I'll second everything Randy said. Thank you so much. Um, where can people find you on uh, social media, and what do you have uh, coming up uh, down the road?
2: Thank you, guys. Um, the, the book has a uh, Twitter account. It's at pjnotforu, N-O-T-F-O-R-U. And um, uh, what's next? I'm working on a new book. I'm trying to make good use of quarantine um, and uh, not go crazy. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll see, you know, I'm, uh, I have my fingers crossed for next year. I still have some tickets bought for shows in Europe and I'm hoping to be able to revise the last chapter with, um, some detailed feedback on many songs.
1: Yeah. We'd love to have you back at some point.
0: Man. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, hopefully we're all able to get out there and, and at least fly out there at the very least. Uh, but you know. Time will time will tell when that happens. So, uh, hopefully, we get to see you out there, though.
2: For sure, let's uh, let's let's try to meet up. Absolutely, I would love to meet any readers who um, who had some thoughts. Um, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it.
0: All right, thank you once again, Ronan. Fantastic talking to him, and man, like that's exactly. The kind of thing I wanted out of a Pearl Jam book. I I didn't know that I wanted all that, but you know, to to get the truthful side of all these stories that didn't feel like it was exploited, like you said in the beginning, that didn't feel that felt honest and felt true to what the band's diehard fans would want. I feel like this really had all of that.
1: Absolutely, and I, you know, and we've been we've been lucky to have so many guests over the past year that. Are, you could really tell that they were really passionate about the the band and the music and they were were definitely more than just like had a casual interest and you can tell that he he's been in it from the beginning the, the way the way the story is structured in the book it's it's almost like it's you know it's just as much a biography of, of him as it is of them and yeah I really really enjoyed reading it I you know I can't wait to get get my hands on a hard copy and uh, and read it again yeah,
0: and uh, if you guys haven't gotten uh, your copy yet, uh, it, it's because it's coming out on October 15th, pre-order it or over on Amazon, or we'll give you the opportunity to get one right now. So, there are going to be two opportunities to win a copy of his new book. One, if you are a patron, if you are subscribed to our Patreon, you are Uh, We'll put out a post and just make sure you respond to that post saying that you're interested in uh, in qualifying for our giveaway and uh, that's one way. If you'd like to join our Patreon, patreon.com slash legs, It contributes back to the show and we give you free episodes and uh, you know bootlegs uh, from shows that we're going to cover in the future and lots of great stuff that that's going on over there that helps out us for putting on the show. Uh, and also, we're going to give one away for people that are tw- Twitter followers. So I think on probably October 2nd, on Friday... We will send out a tweet and i will say retweet this uh, to to win a copy of Not For You, Pearl Jam, in The Present Tense. And that's all you got to do. Just retweet it. Just get it out to all your friends, as many people as possible. Uh, And, yeah, that will get you in and qualified. And then we'll announce winners on the show uh, next week during our 100th episode. We'll do a giveaway uh, during our 100th episode. Look at how that works. Perfect
1: and uh, and what's our twitter handle for people that might not know
0: at live on four legs pod excellent two ways that you can get a book if you're a patron then all you gotta do is just comment on our post when we post it and you'll qualify to, for the giveaway or just retweet whenever we tweet it out on on twitter and keep an eye out on that so all right uh once again was an amazing conversation. I think everything that was going on through both of our brains when reading this book was answered during this. And, uh, I just suggest, you know, because we had read it, there were so many inside and, you know, and gritty little things to, to pick at it. Um, I, maybe for the person that hasn't read the book yet, you get a little bit lost in that. So do us a favor. Once you get the book, listen to this again and see if things kind of connect after this cuz i think they will i think you'll you'll you know i i think you'll be uh you'll be really satisfied if you did i i think the, the you know i think overall the the book is a fantastic read and i hope you enjoy the book when it comes out Uh, it's a fantastic read once again. And, uh, if you don't have your hands on it, either pre-order it or, uh, get in on a giveaway and, and hopefully you get to be one of the lucky few, uh, that gets to win it. So, all right. Once again, thank you to Ronan. And, uh, yeah, this, this was a great interview. Great, great conversation with him. And, uh, we'll be back next week. We have a hundredth episode next week. So, uh, stay tuned for that. We'll be doing Toledo 2004 when Neil joined with the band on stage during the Vote for Choice show. So uh, this may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already and I miss you always. We'll be back next week as we always are. Same time, same place. Every Wednesday we drop our episode. Head on over to Patreon. Head on over to Twitter to win a free copy of the book.
1: Thanks, everybody.